Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. You're here with me, Dan Ko, on Your Money, keeping you company from now all the way to 12 p.m. Michelle Martin's on a short break, so I'll be keeping you company for today. So to break down the latest market developments, let's welcome on the show the one and only Ryan Huang. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dan. How's Thursday looking, Ryan? Pretty good, pretty good. And I've got a weekend looking forward to that as well. It's Thanksgiving in Japan as well. So oh. the version of Thanksgiving is... Um, a bit more like Labor Day. They f- give thanks to all the farmers and everyone who's in the industry. So it's quite a bit of a different take. But it's a holiday there and markets are closed there. That's why. Interesting. Do you follow the uh, Japanese culture closely, Ryan? Mm, I like to follow the holidays there because they've got <laughs> a lot of interesting ones like right. Sports Day, Mountain Day, yeah. you know, Environment Day. So it's um, interesting to see so many of them happening. I hope to see some new holidays we have here in Singapore as well. But it's Dan Day today. Oh, it's Dan Day today. Yeah, we should make that a public holiday. <laughs> All right, anyways, first on the agenda goes to the possible closure of the OpenAI saga. And guess what? Sam Altman is back. Less than five days after he was pushed out of one of the world's most valuable startups, Altman will return as the CEO of OpenAI, marking a significant victory for Microsoft, which has been working with fellow investors to reverse his firing. And it looks like that's not the only thing to change or to follow suit. The previous leadership that ousted him will also be replaced by three new board members. Ryan, who's on the new OpenAI board and who's out? Yeah, so a new look for the board and this is probably one of the conditions that Sam Altman outlined in order for him to return mm. because who would want to work for the board that fired him, right? So yeah. he's kind of reshaping the board. So what do we have here? You've got three names in the new board. One of them is the old name and three names are out. So the three that will be in focus, one of them is Brett Taylor. He mm. is going to be the board chair and he is currently a board member as well at Shopify, the e-commerce platform. He's also the former co-CEO of Salesforce and he was also on Twitter's final board before it was bought over by Elon Musk. So he is seen as a bit of a steady hand when it comes to business and can maybe bring some calm to the company and the board as well to steer it in a direction that is you know, in his expertise domain. And of course, he's been doing e-commerce. He's been doing tech for quite some time. So he's got a lot of business acumen. So he brings that to the table. And of course, he himself has launched his own AI venture alongside another Google executive. So he's got some AI thing going on on the sideline. So that's Ooh. a bit of a question mark if that sideline project will continue. But at least uh, he's on board, the new board. And the other one, there is a big name, Larry Summers. If you've Ooh. been following finance news for the past decades or so, Larry Summers would be a name you would come across because he was formerly the Treasury Secretary under the Clinton administration. So he's got the finance background. So very useful. He's got the connections uh, in politics as well. So he is the second member and he was also or is serving on the board of Block, Mm. which is the finance technology company led by Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. So he's also got a bit of a tech um, expertise there as well. So another name, it's an old name, Adam D'Angelo. So he is the 
CEO of Quora. And that's a platform where you can ask questions and people will reply to you. Some of them experts, some of them um, experienced people. So that's the look of the three that are now on the board. Adam D'Angelo, formerly from the old board, he manages to survive. Perhaps he managed to get some goodwill mm. by backing Sam Altman publicly. Maybe that's why he's still there. All right, who's not on the board any longer? Mm. You've got Helen Toner. She is a researcher and director of strategy and foundational research grants at Georgetown University. So what we know is pretty much her stance that she wants to take a more measured and safer approach towards developing AI products. So she kind of goes against where Sam Altman is coming from, which is to monetize and commercialize at a much faster pace. So she was one of the folks who pushed for Sam to be out. The other person that's also out is Tasha McCulley. She joined the board in 2018 and is a senior management scientist at Rand Corporation. And she, fun fact, is married to actor and filmmaker Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So she has also been given the boot. Another one, the big name here, is Ilya Suskiva. So he co-founded OpenAI and serves as chief scientist. So he was pretty much the man involved in leading the board Mm. to kick out Sam. And then he kind of had a change of heart and jumped on the bandwagon to sign the petition to bring him back. Well, that was not enough to save his job, so he's out of the board. So this is the new look. And also to bear in mind, even though there are only three names, quite likely it is going to be larger down the road. Mm. Um, And I think that's been mentioned before by Sam Altman that he wants a larger board with more expertise, more varied experiences. And also, Microsoft is likely to make a push for them to have a seat at the table. And all in, it's going to be a win-win situation for Sam Altman and Microsoft because Microsoft being a huge investor in the company, now they will have a bigger say. And perhaps with a new board, things will be commercialized much faster. So it's a better outcome for Microsoft. Yeah, it's interesting to see how the dynamics would unfold as well for the new board. In fact, Altman has also been pushing for months to add more directors at OpenAI, suggesting that it is very unlikely that OpenAI's board will remain this small. But I'd like to get your opinion on how do you think this would pan out, especially, you know, the path ahead for the chat GPT maker, Ryan. Like, think of, I mean, the three superpowers they have now, at least that's been recently revamped. How do you see this uh, improving the operations at OpenAI? Yeah, you have a lot of interesting questions now being raised, right? Um, Whether it comes to governance Mm. of these um, type of companies. OpenAI was set up as a non-profit to drive AI technology. Then they started to think, hey, we need to keep the lights on, hire talent. We need to expand our offices. And all these things cost money. And Microsoft being one of the biggest investors you know, had the money come on board and that's why you have this situation now where there's a bit of tension between you know, going for the public good, you know, creating technologies that everyone can use, mm. which of course ChatGPT has been quite helpful and interesting for many folks as well. So you've got that part of the equation. Then the other part of the equation is where the commercial interests will be you know, in focus. Yeah. Now maybe more than before because Microsoft... It's likely to have a bigger say. And you could then have this scenario where some of the 
technologies might not be available for the wider public as mm. much as before. So maybe it might be a different open AI perspective or I guess um, view of how things can be run or should be run in future. Yeah, it does shed quite a bit of light as well into how things would change, as at least in the artificial intelligence space. Besides, I think a lot of focus would be on how they can implement it responsibly as well. And in fact, I mean, thinking of how quickly the reversal could appease investors and reduce the threat of employees fleeing. It also raises questions about, you know, how they would balance developing AI responsibly alongside the need to raise huge amounts of capital from investors to support the expensive computing infrastructure that's necessary to build these tools as well. It's a tough... um it's a tough skill to balance, I must say. But we'll keep an, a close eye on how it develops over time. Now let's stick to the US and pull out our crystal ball for this part of the conversation, Ryan. That's because according to RBC Capital Markets, the S&P 500 will rally to a record high next year that's helped by positive sentiment and resilient valuations. Joining a band of Wall Street strategists in predicting further gains for the US stocks next year. And it's, it also comes against the backdrop of BOA, BOFA, the Bank of America's announcement that it sees the S&P 500 at 5,000 points next year. Ryan, what is the argument? Are you with them? Yeah, 5,000 is a 10% gain from where it is right now, about 4,500. So some ways to go, and you have to bear in mind, it has already risen nearly 19 plus percent in the past year. So more upside to go, maybe. And this is where B of A is saying there is going to be more room because of a couple of things. One is the optimism that the earnings are likely to fuel the rise in stock prices in the next year at least. So that's the optimism from uh, B of A. Um, and they believe the appeal of bonds are not likely anytime soon to derail equity returns. So maybe they think um, interest rates are not going to stay as high as before or as long as before. So that's a bit of a view on where rates will be. Their bonds will not pose much competition for stocks. So that's Ooh. the picture right now. And another one is where they believe that the market has moved past what they describe as maximum macro uncertainty, mm. meaning all the bad news and shocks that have been you know, in the news in the past year or so have been priced in. So mm. that's not going to weigh down on the uh, stock prices anytime soon. Well, talk about optimism. I mean, they mentioned that they would see a constructive uh, about 17% rise than than compared to the current levels. And, you know, the bull case is seeing the index rising to 5,300 points. That's pretty, pretty optimistic. And it also comes against the backdrop of Jim Cramer's comments that, you know, agree, that he recently agreed that it is possible for the S&P 500 to reach 5,000 by the end of next year, supporting the Bank of America's strategist, Savita Subramaniam, and saying that 2024 is going to be a stock picker's paradise. But Ryan, I'd like to take a little bit of a contrarian view here. And, you know, if let's say we're bearish, yeah, how should we be thinking of it this way? Like, what would it look like in a contrarian view? I suppose you could argue that next year, you've got a couple of things happening. One is the US elections. So that gives, 
I guess a, sub, a few things to to chew on. One is typically when you have election years, you can have the markets going up because you get a lot of campaign promises about infrastructure spending, yep. more money in your pocket to you know, set, offset the cost of living and so on. So that can have an impact on markets. Um, the other way to look at it is because it is an election year, you might get a lot of anti-China rhetoric, right? People just saying, hey, we need to get everybody on the same page. And then that typically gets votes, you know, when you try to get a common enemy, so to speak. So that is something to look out for. If US-China tensions take a turn for the worse, then earnings are going to take a hit as well. So you've got the same, I guess, overhanging issue potentially turning two ways. Okay, thanks for that, Ryan. It's a good way to expand the conversation as well as to look at the contrary view. And, you know, it's been also said that if you're bearish and you get it wrong, nobody blames you because the bulls are or have already been punished. But we'll see how it pans out at least for next year. We're coming close to the end of the year anyways. Now let's shift our attention to China where we've got Alibaba's founder Jack Ma revealing that he will be... reversing his plans to trim his stake after the Chinese e-commerce heavyweight suffered its biggest sell-off in more than a year just last week. Now, 59-year-old Ma had initially planned to sell about 10 million shares worth almost $870 million on November the 21st, but has since not sold a single share. And, he, and that says the stock price has not reached the level that the billionaire was seeking. So, Ryan, what's the latest on this? And what is Ma seeing in the e-commerce leader's future that we're not? Yeah, so it is a meta perspective. So you had Jack Ma actually outlining his plans to sell his stake, I believe something in August. And then the news of it landing that he will be selling was landing on the same day that Alibaba said they would not be spinning off their cloud unit. So all in, mm. it just put a lot of pressure on the Alibaba stock price. And to give you an idea of how much um, the stock price dropped in the past year, the Alibaba group stock is down 13 plus percent in Ooh. the past year. So that apparently is one reason why Jack Ma is not selling. You can see as I guess, two ways. One is... He feels the company deserves more of a higher price below what he sees is the value right now. He thinks it's worth more than what the market is pricing in. So he's waiting perhaps for markets to return to a better mm. price before he sells it. And you've got the, I guess, cheerleader saying, hey, Jack Ma is not selling because he's confident in the long-term prospects of the company. So that's, I guess, the glass half-full view. Yeah, it's nice to have the support of a billionaire, at least knowing that the stock is still backed by him. And I mean, talk about valuations, right? We've got a lot of strategists saying that it remains quite attractive even today. And, you know, while the stock may lack some catalyst to re-rate in the near term, you know, markets are likely, you know, at least weighing based on what they're seeing in the short term run. Now, Ryan, do you think Jack Ma's commitment to the stock is likely to bring back confidence into the company? Well, it's quite tough uh, because the fundamentals of the company are probably what investors will be looking at more closely. Mm. And that's where you look at the business. Um, Singles Day recently, do you buy anything there? Ah, oh, me? No, not really actually. Yeah, so same for many folks as well. So Singles Day was a bit of a dampener for many Chinese e-commerce companies. Yeah. And Alibaba among them, even though um, they saw record sales 
Um, they are not looking very optimistic for the coming quarters because of the issues facing uh, the Chinese economy and also the structural problems like youth unemployment and whatnot. So consumers, that spending sentiment is going to be a big question mark down the road. So a bit of a slowdown is expected, which could put pressure on the business. So it is going to be something to keep an eye out for mm. in terms of Alibaba's fundamentals, whether they will be enough to inspire investors to get back in. Yeah, we'll see whether you have the uh, tenacity of uh, Jack Ma as well to keep you know, holding on and believing in the company's success or at least its future. Now we're going to play a game of up or down, and if you're regular, very simple. All you got to do is to guess whether a stock or a topic is going to be an up or a down. Ryan, are you ready? Yes, let's go. Okay, first on the list, we have got Binance. All right, Binance is... Um, I'm going with... Uh, up, I'll go with up. Oh. Yeah, so you've got, of course, in the news... Um, CZ, the leader, CEO, he was forced to step down because of all the regulatory issues. Yeah. So he has been taken over by Richard Tang, formerly from the MES and the SGX. Mm. So I will give an out for it because it removes a bit of uncertainty around the company, around all the uh, disputes they've been having regulators. So that's out of the picture. So this, for long term, I think puts it on a better footing. Nice. All right. Okay. I'm going to go with a down for this, at least for now. We've, we're seeing investors pulling up at about more than 900 million US dollars from the crypto exchange over the past 24 hours. And that's according to the data from Nansen. Well, still, there is well over $65 billion of asset, but it's clear that the news of CC leaving the company and stepping down is rattling some investors. So I'm going to go with a down for this one. Next on the list, we've got Huawei's new smartphone. Honor. All right. Honor is going to be an up for me because they are preparing for an IPO. So Honor, you might be familiar with it, is the brand of smartphone that was under recently, the umbrella huh. of Huawei. Okay. But they sold it off because yeah. of the US sanctions. Uh, so now apparently they've improved so much in the past three years, they think it's time for an IPO to expand even more. Yeah, it's uh, their aggressive move to the smartphone market and their challenge to Apple and Samsung in the high-end market as well. Well, it looks uh, pretty good here, at least, um, I mean, in having backed by Huawei as well. I'm going to go with an up for this one. Next on the list, we have got Caro. All right, Caro, also an up for me and also an IPO in the works. And based on reports, it is in talks to raise over 100 million US dollars. So Cairo, the online automotive marketplace backed by SoftBank. Well, hopefully it's good news for SoftBank this time. Yep. I'm going to go with an up for Cairo as well. I mean, talk about, you know, the midst of securing triple-digit million-dollar financing from banks at around 5% annually, a rate that some say was near risk-free. I'm going to go with an up for the SoftBank back Caro. Next one, let's take it closer to home, Thai Beverage. All right, Thai Beverage is going to be a down for me because full year net profit is lower by 9%. So this is uh, going to be one to watch out for when stock markets open today. Yeah, people are drinking less, Ryan. You're not drinking enough beer, are you? <laughs> well, I'm moving on to healthier stuff for now. So maybe I'll... I'll Celebrate more a bit at <laughs> end of the year. 
Well, talk about New Year resolutions, right? It's all coming back to us again. But yes, I'm going to go with a down four type Bev. It's posting about 9% drop in net profit to 27.4 billion baht or equivalent to $1.2 billion. Fantastic. As always, thank you so much for keeping us company on Market View, Ryan, and your in-depth analysis of the latest developments in the market. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.